0: So I think the greatest enemy of change and innovation is actually ourselves. I think we get in our own way because we tend to lean on what we know and and what we deem as safe.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Miller and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, DWG. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. For more information about DWG, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com. So the subject of the episode today is all around work and we pose the question is there a future for work itself? I don't think I can remember a time when work has been so much under the microscope in conversation and under debate whether it's about AI, software, mobility, robotics, Knowledge, education, etc., etc. I think we're all asking ourselves where is the work going to be in the future and kind of will work survive this transition? And so, in order to discuss this question, I pondered which guest to invite onto the show. And I was really delighted when Brian Solis, who many people will know, Agreed to come on as my guest. Brian is a principal analyst at Altometer Group. He's an award winning author, a very prominent blogger and writer, and is a digital analyst, an anthropologist, and a futurist. His new book, which is a fantastic read and it's beautifully designed, is called X, the Experience When Business Meets Design. And it introduces the importance of experiences as the new brand. Brian's done lots of research, written various books, all around helping executives and everyday people understand better the evolution of technology and its impact on the way that we live i think i need to give the audience a health warning this was a kind of darker episode than i expected it verges on the alarming uh, it's certainly challenging uh but it's really thought-provoking and i think the topic's really important we're looking at some of the challenges and uh, issues that software f- throws up. We also do look at some of the opportunities that we have in front of us to really design the future in a way that works for us. I am reassured because I think, as Brian says, that we have the power to really take hold of this and work this through. I'm also reassured because I come from Manchester in the north of England and it's a city where the Industrial Revolution was born um, just over 200 years ago and that was certainly a time of turbulence and change. Imagine working in the fields in a rural idyll and all of a sudden the steam engine comes along and the modern world is born. So sometimes... Change happens, and this is one of those periods. So, make the judgments for yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Brian Solis. So, uh, Brian, it's clear. That the work itself is is really under investigation at the moment probably as as never before and and why do you think this is happening oh my goodness
0: that did, uh how much time do we have for that answer <laughs> so so many things that are happening uh and a lot of it is you know look uh, society as a whole has has evolved and has brought along with it Uh, its belief system, its values, its perspectives Uh, and at the same time we have new generations, we have technology that is affecting all kinds of generations to see things in different lights uh, to get sort of a globalized view or internal, let's call it internet view of the world Uh, and you have essentially different perspectives uh, and different belief systems and values that are clashing all at once technology at the same time isn't necessarily helping as much as it could because i don't think that leaders around the world both in government and business will just say just in, in any industry didn't anticipate the impact of information or misinformation in the lives of everyday people and how social networking in particular Created a perfect storm for navel gazing, accidental narcissism, as I call it, mm-hmm. sort of this idea of influence or false influence, uh, and and more importantly the rapid network effect of misinformation or the disintermediation of misinformation, and so you have a, you have essentially a society that was blindsided by this perfect storm and experts who were so busy focused on perpetuating technology and implementing new technologies in, into our professional and personal lives that we didn't see the anthropological or sociological ramifications of, of this storm. Now. Uh, that's just my best way of trying to cram that answer into a few minutes sure but i think there's a there's also an opportunity here of which i think we can think about innovation not just from a technological standpoint but innovation in how we see and how we move within the world and i'll sort of leave it there and and kind of let you uh <laughs> let you respond to all <laughs> right. that stuff that's
1: that that's great i mean the, the the word that sort of stay with me is that that society's been blindsided and 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 I really love this idea i mean and we're we're recording this a a few days after a pretty substantial global cyber attack and and what struck me was that the response and the fix to that was a twenty two year old in a cafe who happened to do a little bit of digging and found a kill switch and and It's almost like the world's been Blindsided by the scale and the power of the technology, uh, is quite unready for the response. And I'm I'm kind of thinking about this in in terms of the subject for today, which is you know is there a future for work? So works under investigation. And, and one of the things that's been running round my head is is whether work is something that's just going to persist through this digital age. Obviously, we're seeing all of the implications of ai and software and the automation of work do you think this is going to enhance work or do you think work itself might morph into something quite different in the future not even sure whether we'd call it work (laughs) <laughs> I I love I, another difficult question from me, Brian. <laughs> exactly, sir. I was just thinking. All right, how do I tell? Oh my this? God! These, what time's the
0: plane? These are great. <laughs> exactly. I'll just ask them the way. These these are great questions, and I I have to tell you, there's just there's so many factors here. We we also have been. The one thing that's very interesting, I'll just take a step back, and it sort of applies to both questions that you've asked thus far, which is this. Innovation outside of our perspective, let's just call it technological advancements, let's call it disruption, we're we're not even... The, uh, we're not even done, and I think we're making decisions and we're looking at uh, responses to all of these things based on an aging infrastructure that we ha- we we've just put off on, on fixing uh, because I don't know maybe we were caught in a state of future shock maybe we didn't necessarily believe that all of these changes would happen so fast we've all talked about how World War Three would be one that was started with the cyber attack and that was that's decades of conversations around that subject and here we are surprised that uh power grids are getting shut down around the world that that elections are being hacked that uh malware is, is globally shutting down or crippling businesses around the world this this is a long time coming and when it when it when it comes to the future of work it's the same sort of challenge we haven't Taking a step back to look at our aging infrastructure and to see what needs to be repaired, but also what we don't have infrastructure for to support yet. And on that note, I can't think of anything else that's going to be more disruptive in the future of work than artificial intelligence, machine learning, robots, uh, which are already starting to take and will take more uh, white-collar jobs than I think we're ready to admit. So yes, there will be a future of work, but we have a, we have a choice here as architects of the future of work to decide what, what is going to be replaced and what makes sense at scale for technology and automation. Uh, and its impact on the human workforce and then more importantly how do we take that human workforce and also students at university for example uh, and train them for the jobs of the future right now and this is where like in the like in society we're just not having those meaningful conversations or taking meaningful action to basically take control of what that answer is going to be and thus risk that answer being dealt to us
1: and it's it's such an interesting area and one of the things that i've been thinking about is is education because in a way if if a particular role is automated away and and the the response is well that person doesn't have work it's it's really the, the skills and the learning and the training are not appropriate to, let's say, what comes next. And what concerns me, and I don't know what your thoughts are around this, Brian, and hopefully it's not as, as difficult a question. Um, who knows? It, it's really, my, my, I see kids going off to school every day and I'm thinking to myself, are you learning things that are actually going to give you a meaningful work life in the future? Or are you learning things that are really by the time you graduate are just going to be kind of obsolete and that really uh, certainly concerns me
0: Uh, it concerns me as well especially as a father i think about what what can i do to help them shape or at least open the doors to possibility when in fact the the infrastructure the education system uh, a lot of A lot of things that exist are sort of based on or rooted in the past, uh, definitely in legacy perspectives and also uh, let's just say legacy models that sort of attempt to help people compete in a future that is actually starting to detour further and further away than what these models are designed to produce. So I think there's innovation and disruption that is both happening and imminent. I, I actually believe this is a time for leadership, and the challenge that we have, and as we see here in politics, is that there are people who are ready for change. There are people who want change, who need it, who don't know anything other than what 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 they know. So, for example, I I often use this uh, <laughs> try to find funny metaphors and keep this as an optimistic conversation, and that. If we look at the save icon in any Microsoft product like Word or Excel or PowerPoint, it is a icon based on a three and a half inch floppy disk. And there is a group of us who understand what that icon means and it makes sense because we used to save things on a three and a half inch floppy disk but to an entirely different generation they have no idea what I'm talking about and to them that's simply a save icon. And that icon to me reflects sort of how we see the world. Do you see it as a three and a half inch floppy disk or do you see it as a save icon? And as a result of how you see that you tend to make decisions following a particular past rooted in a belief system and a legacy perspective that doesn't or does allow you to see possibilities for the future. I think rather than trying to convince people that they're wrong or tell people that they're, they're the ways they see the world is old and that they have to get with the times, I mean nobody responds to that very well. <laughs> Instead, I think we have an opportunity to build bridges to people and help them understand the Upsides and the benefits for learning and trying new things, but helping them along the way, and that's where things get into trouble because there isn't an infrastructure that does that. We have a schooling system, we have a training system at work that is still pushing the three and a half inch floppy disk perspectives and ways of working and 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 measurements and metrics and training programs around these things that are hurting more than they're helping. Hmm,
1: and I suppose just you know thinking about the the kind of positives around this are there particular examples of um, people or even organizations who you think seem to have not only kind of cottoned on to what's happening but actually are, are making the investments or doing the things that you think are sort of examples of what this future future work is going to look like
0: Well, you have everything from the Khan Academy to uh, alternative universities. You have uh, Peter Thiel and and other high profile uh, executives, uh, technology entrepreneurs who are literally paying people not to go to college. Uh, You have programs around the world such as andela that are teaching uh, individuals in third world countries uh, specifically in andela's case africa uh how to code uh if 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 they're if they're if they're capable to do so in fact they pay them to learn how to code which is uh quite a quite a remarkable business model i so there are pockets of these things that are taking place i think the greatest enemy of change and innovation is actually ourselves i think we get in our own way because we tend to lean on what we know and and what we deem is safe, uh, as if it's going to insulate us from any potential disruption in the future. I would like to think that we have to think, we have to look at this. Uh, another interesting question, which is, you know, do you think AI is going to take people's jobs? And I think a lot of people would say absolutely. And then you have to ask them, do you think automation will take your job? And then it starts to really get people to raise an eyebrow, maybe to consider the fact that we're not immune. we all talk of change, but none of us talk of changing ourselves this is I think this is a, a story where rather than look at other companies or other things, start to look at within uh, because no one if you're waiting for someone to tell you what to do, you might be on the wrong side of innovation i I personally i i as an analyst <laughs> There's a lot of my work that I know is going to be automated, and I, I have to deal with that. And I, I, here I am, you know, what I would believe is mid, mid-career, having to reimagine what I want to do when I grow up <laughs> because, because the robots have, uh, have changed my, my course. And I think this is an area that we all need to internalize. What are we going to do about the looming shifts in work?
1: Hmm that's a fantastic way of putting it and i mean and i I, i've mentioned on one of the podcasts before the the singapore government giving people all citizens a a lifelong learning fund because they know that people are going to have to keep retraining and i suppose one message for people sort of listening is you know look at yourself and think about what you need to know and what you need to learn to stay relevant and you know i think of my you know own work and the number of iterations and evolutions and i'm and i'm sure your story's um similar brian you know and so i suppose it's not that the world's a static thing and you remain static but you can re re reimagine yourself and i love the examples that you've mentioned in education i also think that you know if i look at organizations like adobe who um you know, combine I think a really mature physical working environment with a digital working environment, a real respect for people's work life balance for sustainability. I, I think for me, organisations like that, Herman Miller, you know, the the office kind of company, uh they to me seem to kinda of have some of the aspects of what would be a future way of working where where things are more rewarding to um to people. I don't know if you have other examples that that you have in your mind of, you know, particular sort of uh, businesses or other organizations.
0: What I believe is an opportunity is to consider as an organization what what is what's really at the heart of the matter. We tend to. Think about the future of work based on how, <laughs> how we see the, the work in the past. And I really am trying to be as optimistic and positive in this conversation. But at the same time, there's a tremendous sense of urgency. We we are standing in our own way of, of many fronts, not just individual uh individual relevance but also corporate relevance times are changing people are changing preferences values uh, behaviors are changing these are disrupting businesses and their ability to compete and so the same thing that's affecting the future of work is the same thing that's affecting the future of business can can we start to do new things because we see new things this is, a, this is a, I think we need more philosophy in business, actually more humanities in business overall. This is, this is the, the same issue. The future of work and the future of business are hampered by or accelerated by the culture of an organization. That could be business, that could be education, what have you. The challenge is that leadership, or let's call it management, does not recognize culture as an actual asset. Uh, it is it is a sort of summation of what we teach, what we manage against, and what we tolerate. It is, though, the very thing that either hinders us or pushes us in direct new directions. One company that I find very interesting is the Tata Group out of India in that they have proactively invested in a culture of innovation where people are empowered, people are incentivized to learn new things and/or ideate uh, new possibilities, and management is held accountable to the ratcheting of those ideas and new expertise, uh, and measured about how well those are implemented within the organization. So it's it's been it's been completely. Integrated into the DNA of how the company thinks and operates. But the reason why I shifted from the word leadership to management is that I think this is a time for leadership, and that we have to tell, we have to say to our shareholders and to our stakeholders that yesterday is not tomorrow. We can't, we can't innovate. We can't do new things by opening old doors. This is a time that I believe we have to look internally in order to look externally and also look externally to affect internal uh, behaviors and perspectives. We have to power and empower a culture that allows for risk-taking.
1: And it's so interesting that, I I mean, so often this topic of culture which is so critical to the way that work happens in any organization is often mentioned to me as a you know as a blocker not as an enabler you know uh you know our culture's resistant to this but I suppose when when we look at the scale of of innovation uh, forces at work in the world around us it's not surprising that people are Kind of struggling to keep pace with it and to keep up, and I, I and I I suppose that's why I was kind of intrigued by this idea whether in debating work, um, the work itself might be some you know uh, might not survive this, but but I, I think work is pretty fundamental to human experience, and I'm just interested um, to know Brian, what's what's your view around the idea of the universal basic income and that. Um, because even people like my mum are talking about AI and software and whether it 's going to replace you know other robots coming for our jobs, and to what I just wonder whether the universal basic income, the idea that we 'd get a, an amount of money um, when we turn eighteen and it would carry on, whether that 's a, a good idea a, a safety and insurance policy what what 's your thoughts around that
0: Well, to be honest, I have not spent much time looking into that i mean i have it at a, at a high level uh, and as a result believe that the intention is noble uh and you know i i live in the united states where you know we're not even sure if social security is gonna is gonna sure. make it uh to to uh, to support a lot of the people who've paid into it over the years i i you know i i want to hope for the best i'm a hopeless optimist But at the same time, the systems of which are introducing these ideas and which would be managed uh, or which would manage and regulate them are, uh, for all intents and purposes, corrupt or questionable today and, and or... Rooted in legacy perspectives, basically the you know the theme of our conversation today. so i I don't know that I trust it. i I don't know that I would uh, it would have to be something that was so mm. strong and so supported, not just in one country, but but universally. And in the meantime, while I would champion for something that protects us, otherwise we're going to have a real you know, the the distance between the haves and have-nots. Uh, you know, we think we're seeing a, a very interesting set of uh, circumstances today. Just wait until AI really starts to get hold and really starts to displace you know, basically the middle class. Uh, and we're, we're not prepared intellectually or emotionally for that conversation today. And so the idea of a universal basic income, I, I, I think it's, it's certainly interesting at the same time. This is a this is a personal story we we need our own insurance policies I, I don't I don't know that we can lean a hundred percent on anybody or anything to take care of us. I think we also have to assume that as individuals we have to invest in our own futures as well
1: there's a very interesting thing going on um, I, I heard about I think it's called giving good and it's it's taking this idea of a universal basic income but it's disintermediating the state so so in uh, it's been operated in various villages um in Kenya with 26,000 people and and the idea is an individual can give another individual so somebody with m- money and wealth can give money to uh, somebody who doesn't have that direct into their bank account and and so it's it's essentially a, a different take on on a kind of charitable giving but it's just you know you might support somebody going through school uh, etc but this is like direct giving and i thought that was an interesting thing and some of the um you know kind of stu- studies and experiments going on like that i think are are um uh, really interesting uh, but i i know brian um it's been great to have you on the show and i know that you've got to um dash off so i don't want to keep you um any longer than uh, than than you can but it's been fantastic to to have you on the podcast and you know thank you so much Brian for for all of your contributions well it's it's
0: my pleasure and thank you for your contributions i'll leave you with this i came up with a uh, I, I often come up with cartoons and, and imagery to Help communicate to people what what the potential future is, and it's a, a woman at work uh, on her laptop, surrounded by by robots, and the caption says, "Yes, robots and the AI will one day affect your job. However, your expertise, value, and legacy are yours to define. Get in front of it. Don't let those robots defeat you." <laughs>
1: right, that's 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 good. I'd be interested to hear what the robot's response was. <laughs> <laughs> great well thank you very much Brian and it's been a pleasure talking to you
0: yeah the pleasure is all mine thank you again
1: thank you for listening to the show a little bit more about Brian his previous books include what's the future of business subtitled WTF I like that and it explores the landscape of connected consumerism um, he published The End of Business as Usual. That was named as a top 10 business book by Publishers Week. Brian is a regular contributor to leading business and industry publications like Adage, Forbes, Wired, VentureBeat, amongst others. And he's an official LinkedIn influencer. So, for those of you who aren't aware, Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy, supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. If you want more information about DWG, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com And if you want to listen to previous episodes, such as where we go inside Barclays and look at the digital transformation of a bank that's more than 350 years old, if you want to find out whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to work for a robot, then please go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. And if you like the show, please go onto iTunes and write a nice review because apparently that makes a big difference. This is Paul Miller wishing you well. Until next time.